I'm John, and this is DOLW2, episode 20, The Right of Sodomy, and I'm joined today by Mike, Teresa, Carl. So I'll start reading first. (coughs) From The Right of Sodomy, volume 4, by Randy Engel, pages 940 to 945. Father Cobb met with other Jesuit superiors to discuss the problem, and it was decided that Connor should be sent to St. Bellman Preparatory High, an all-boys school in San Jose operated by the Jesuits. Connor was not the first predatory homosexual that the Jesuits had sent to Bellamine. Father Cobb never bothered to inform school officials of the sex abuse charges against Connor. Fortunately, the sheriff's deputies continued to keep an eye on Brother Charlie. Based on evidence obtained after a search warrant of his room at the Sacred Heart Center, Connor was arrested on January 17, 2002. He pleaded no contest to one count felony of committing a lewd act on a dependent adult. He was put under six months of house detention, ordered to register as a lifetime offender, and forbidden from having any contact with mentally disabled adults or minors. Jail time served zero. In the meantime, the sheriff's office discovered that Brother Charlie was not the only sex abuser living at the Jesuit retreat center in Los Los Gatos. Actually, there were three other Jesuit priests also abusing John and James, who would be later named in the suit filed on behalf of the two men. One of those priests was Father Edward Thomas Burke. Father Burke was a former high school teacher and the librarian at the facility. In March 2000, Burke told his superior, Father Cobb, that he had molested James. Again, Cobb did not report the offending priest to the authorities. Instead, in April 2000, Cobb took Burke to hide out at the Jesuit University of Santa Clara. Father Burke was arrested on May in May 2002 and pleaded guilty for committing a lewd act sodomy on a dependent adult, a felony sex crime. He was held on $50,000 bail. In June 2002, he was sentenced to two years at San Quentin Prison that has a special unit to care for elderly inmates. He was also required to register as a lifetime sex offender. Santa Clara County Superior Court Judge Kevin J. Murphy said that the priest deserved to be punished for inflicting severe emotional injury on his victim. This is not simply abuse by a caregiver. This was abuse by a friend, a parent figure, and a spiritual counselor, said Murphy. At his trial and sentencing, the 80-year-old priest showed no emotion. However, Dr. Douglas... M. Harper, a psychiatrist who testified for the defense, said that Burke suffered from overwhelming spiritual guilt and suicidal inclinations and was remorseful. Harper said he opposed any incarceration of the elderly priest since he posed no danger to the victim and there was no possibility he would offend again. James Dole thought otherwise. James's sister, Deborah Sullivan, said she was happy that Burke would have to spend time in jail and that she could finally tell her brother that there was a true consequence for what Father Burke had done to him for so many years. When James heard the news, he told his sister, I'm glad he got nailed. I'll sleep in peace tonight. 
On June 19, 2001, attorneys representing John Doe and James Doe filed a $10 million civil suit on their behalf against fathers Connor and Burke and another Franciscan brother, Hal Ellis. The Jesuit priests were charged with subjecting the young men to repeated acts of sodomy, molestation, and false imprisonment for 30 years, beginning within a year of their arrival at Sacred Heart. The names of Father Angel Christotomo, Christostomo Mariano and Father Cliff Winger were later added to the list of defendants in the lawsuit. The suit alleged that the priests locked up and abused James, John and James in the men's rooms, guest rooms, and the shoeshine room at the Sacred Heart Center. Father Mariano, a cross-dresser, had been convicted of child molestation and had served five months in the Santa Clara County Jail in 1998 for performing oral copulation on two male minors in Campbell, California, while posing as a 25-year-old Hawaiian woman named Kim. Mariano's roommate of two years at the Sacred Heart Center was Reverend Thomas Smolich, who began his six-year term as provincial in 1999. Smolich said he was not advised of the sex abuse charges against Mariano when he came to Los Gatos. In September 2002, after one year of negotiations, the officials of the Jesuit province settled a civil suit with attorneys for John and James for $7.5 million, one of the largest payments ever made by a religious order that we know of. Reverend Smolich said, we thought the settlements were in the best interest of all parties. The Jesuit province paid part of the settlement and the remainder was covered by an insurance carrier. John and James today live in assisted housing provided by another charity. They initially received $13,000 a month from the settlement, which will be increased to $30,000 a month over the next 30 years. The real kicker in the Jesuit Sacred Heart Center scandal came in the form of a statement made by Paul E. Gaspari, the attorney for the Jesuit California province, as to why no incidence of sex abuse was ever reported by Jesuit officials in the proper, to the proper authorities. According to Gaspari, the Jesuit order had no obligation under California law to disclose the information. We are not mandated reporters because these two individuals are not minors, he said. Not that, that, not that it would have made a difference. The record shows that the Jesuit officials have routinely covered up sexual abuse incidents involving minors as evidenced by the equally horrific case of Father Gerald Linder, a former patient of St. Luke's Institute. Father Linder molested and sodomized more than a dozen young victims, girls and boys, over a 40-year period, including his own sister and three of his nieces. His Jesuit superiors eventually ended up stashing Linder at the Sacred Heart Center in Los Gatos Center. Linder's superior, Reverend Smolich, has told the press and local townspeople that the priest movements are supervised but not restricted. As this book goes to print, Linder is still on the loose. The criminal assault of mentally ill, mentally or physically handicapped persons and other dependent young adults, along with the sexual exploitation and criminal assault of seminarians, generally young adults, is a canonical loophole that the Holy See 
must close with more exact language and stiffer penalties. It is also an issue the American bishops need to hammer out sooner rather than later. Here, start reading right there. The Order of Preachers, the Lavender Mafia in the Dominican Order. On February 25th, Ash Wednesday, 1998, Father Timothy Radcliffe, O.P., the Master General of the Dominican Order, issued a Lenten letter titled The Promise of Life. From his residence at the Dominican Convent of Santa Sabrina in Rome, Having carefully followed the pattern of homosexual colonization of the Dominican order in the United States for more than 20 years, this writer was curious to see if Father Radcliffe would discuss the issue of gay religious in his letter to, the, to his Dominican brothers worldwide. He did both directly and indirectly. Radcliffe's first reference to homosexuality was an indirect one. On the subject of celibacy, he chose a quotation from American Dominican Donald Gordon. Celibacy does not witness to anything, but celibates do. We witness to the kingdom if we are seen to be people whose, whose chastity liberates us for life. It is strange that all the Dominicans that Radcliffe could have quoted on celibacy, he chose Donald Gorgon, a religious whose public and private life, as we shall see, has been distinguished by an open and long-term advocacy and financial support of clerical homosexuality. Why Gorgon? The answer lies in the second of Gorgon's quotes cited by Radcliffe in The Promise of Life, wherein Gorgon <coughs> espouses the familiar liberal litany, If I partake of consumer society, defend capitalism, tolerate machismo, believe that Western society is superior to others, and am, an, and am sexually abstinent, I am simply witnessing to that for which we stand, capitalism, sexism, Western arrogance, and sexual abstinence. The latter is hard, hardly deeply meaningful and understandably questioned. For many bishops and religious superiors like Radcliffe, a seminarian's or priest homosexual activities and advocacy can be overlooked as long as the offending priest adheres to the gospel of liberalism. It is not until their diocese of religious order is hit with catastrophic lawsuits related to the criminal sexual abuse of underage young boys and young men, including seminarians and religious novices that the former give a second thought to the policy of ordaining homosexuals to the priesthood and the religious life. However, in the case of Radcliffe, it appears that the pressure of pederast lawsuits against offending Dominicans worldwide had not yet reached critical mass in 1998. Indeed, in the paragraph titled Communities of Hope, just preceding his statement on the acceptance of homosexual candidates into the order, the Master General stated, Our communities must be places in which there is no accusation. The accuser of our brethren is cast, is cast forth. The position of this paragraph, just before Radcliffe's 
support for homosexual seminarians, brothers and priests, leads one to interpret his comment as a warning against in-house whistleblowers who reveal clerical sexual misconduct and criminal acts of their fellow Dominicans to superiors or public authorities and law enforcement officers. The Dominican Order Accepts Homosexuals. In this opening statement on community and sexual orientation, Father Radcliffe began with the statement that various cultures react differently to the admission of people of homosexual orientation to religious life, with some holding it to be virtually unthinkable, while others accept it without question. What cultures outside of ancient cults that practiced certain pagan rites or followed Gnostic doctrines accepted without question men who unnaturally lust after other men? The Master General does not tell us. Even if such a culture existed in modern times, why would its beliefs influence the universal head of the Dominican <coughs> Order, whose sole concern one would think would be what Christ, his saints, including St. Dominic and his church, teaches on the matter of homosexuality. And that teaching is clear from the time of the apostles until today. For a man to lust after another man is not only sinful, it is also perverse. To act upon these unnatural desires is an abomination in the eyes of God. In any case, Radcliffe used the Lenten message to inform his fellow Dominicans that one's sexual orientation is not important in evaluating a candidate's suitability for religious life. It is not for us to tell God whom he may or may not call to a religious life, he said. And besides, he added, the general chapter of Kaleruga, after much debate, affirmed that the same demands of chastity apply to all brethren of whatever sexual orientation, and so one can be excluded on this ground. The actual text from the Acts of the General Chapter of Definitors of the Order of Friar, Friars Preachers meeting until from July 17th to August 8th, 1995, at Calaruga, Spain, the birthplace of St. Dominic, reads, as a radical demand, the vow of chastity is equally binding on homosexuals and heterosexuals. Hence, no sexual orientation is a priori incompatible with the call to chastity and the fraternal life. How far were we going? Right there. Okay. The above reference to sexual orientation is an extremely sophisticated turn of words that leaves the, po the door open for lesbianism, transvesticism, transsexualism, pedestry, pedophilia, sadomasochism, and other sexual perversions. The fact that the worldwide Dominican leadership permitted such a statement to be incorporated into an official pronouncement of the order demonstrates in a concrete manner the degree to which the Dominicans are now controlled by the homosexualists and their minions. Radcliffe concluded his segment on sexual orientation with words of compassion for his Dominican homosexual brethren. However, he warned that the emergence of many of any subgroups within a community based on sexual orientation would be highly divisive, and it would threaten the unity of the community. 
and make it harder for the brethren to practice the chastity that he has vowed. Overall, the official views on the acceptance of homosexuals to holy orders expressed by Master General Radcliffe and as promulgated at the 1995 Kalaruga meeting represent a radical departure from traditional church teachings on the necessity of the scrupulous screening and vetting of candidates for the priesthood or religious life. What happens when this traditional wisdom is tossed out the window can be seen in the battle for River Forest. The Fall of Fairyville In the mid-20th century, the Dominican Priory, Priory, of St. Dominic and St. Thomas in River Forest, Illinois, was a world leader in Thomistic philosophy and theology. Its growing enrollment of candidates seeking admission to the Dominican order was such that in the early 1950s, part of the order's theological facilities were moved to to Dubuque, Iowa. The magnificent St. Rose of Lima, Priori and Seminary in Dubuque that housed the Aquinas Institute of Theology was completed in 1956. It sat just across the road from the Provincial Seminary of Mount St. Bernard, operated by the Archdiocese of Dubuque. St. Rose housed more than 200 seminarians and 50 junior priests. The Priori and Seminary were the pride and the glory of the Dominican (coughs) Order. By the late 1960s, however, the Dominican Seminary had become the Ferryville of Iowa and the laughing stock of the Dominican order. The problem? Rampant homosexuality combined with post-conciliar modernism and leftist political activism. This was the, ev- the evaluation of Father Charles Cor- Corcoran, OP, from the River Forest Priory. Father Corcoran ostensibly came to teach at St. Rose Priory as professor of theology and philosophy at Aquinas Institute at the request of the provincial superior, Father Gilbert Graham, in 1966. In actuality, Cochran, who held a doctorate in psychology, had been asked to come to St. Rose to see if anything could be done about the homosexual problem and related issues that threatened the existence of the seminary. Corcoran was joined by another Dominican who unfortunately was of little help as he himself was a closeted homosexual. In 1967, the Most Reverend Father Encito Fernandez Alonso, the Dominican Master General in Rome, made a formal visitation to St. Rose. Father Fernandez met with Father Cochran, who advised the Master General of the problems of St. Rose and named the ringleaders. Father Fernandez gave Father Graham the order to clean house, beginning with the removal of two professors from the faculty known to be closely connected to the homosexual clique at the seminary. However, when Father Graham tried to remove the offending professors, the entire faculty threatened to resign en masse. The Master General's orders were never carried out, and conditions at the seminary continued to deteriorate. St. Rose was not the only seminary having a problem with homosexuality. Mount St. Bernard Seminary, which served all the dioceses of Iowa, was forced to close its doors in 1969. 
15 years after it had been built due to largely to conditions of moral turpitude. The philosophy at the, the philosophy at the time was once the vice took hold in the seminary, you simply closed the doors and sent everyone home. There were, of course, other ongoing problems at St. Rose. During the post-Vatican II era, there was a general purge of Orthodox Dominicans from the Aquinas Institute. Traditional-minded candidates for the priesthood were either turned away or became so disillusioned with the homosexual milieu at the seminary that they quit. Finally, in, in July 1981, the entire Dominican operation at St. Rose and its Aquinas Institute in Dubuque was shut down, and the Aquinas Institute was moved to St. Louis University in Missouri, operated by the Jesuits. The, the d- dislodged homosexual clique, clique from St. Rose turned their sights northeast to River Forest, as Father Corcoran had predicted 10 years prior. By 1985, the clique was powerful enough to engineer the election of one of its own, Donald Gorgon, as provincial of the central province of St. Albert the Great in Chicago. The rise of Father Donald Gorgon. A native of Iowa, young Gorgon began his preparation for the diocesan priesthood in La Rosse College in Dubuque in 1961, where he ma- majored in Latin philosophy and French. Originally built as a diocesan seminary in 1839 by Bishop Pierre Jean Matthias Loras, the first bishop of Dubuque, La Rosse College was later converted to an all-male liberal arts college. Today it is Catholic in the name only. And we're going to end here. Uh, Carl, did you want to have any uh, uh, any comment, or you, did you want to read maybe your first uh, no, break? I, I didn't want to read, but... but uh, they can't hear you unless but, I pass this down if you want to talk. But I do have a comment. Well, go right in uh, comment. Uh, hey, Carl, give us a comment. I, I wonder why, how they brought all these people in that were already homosexuals, uh, how they... They should never been brought into the seminary, and that started the problem. And it seemed like that that they're all in favor of that, and that that's a disgrace. It is a disgrace. I agree, Carl. Yeah. All right. I think, I think mentally ill. Well, Carol can add that. Just a minute, Carl. We're gonna go ahead and add your last comment. John's the production guy. I, I believe that they're mentally ill. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, let me. There's a couple ways to critique or analyze this, and we've got uh, Randy Angle. We've got some comments here, but <clears throat> there's been some thinking along the lines that why haven't they canonized Fulton Sheen, Bishop Fulton Sheen? Oh, yeah. And uh, we're going to have him as a guest here later on. We just ha- heard Randy Engel, her written word, came alive with our speaking. And we're going to have a guest here, Bishop Fulton Sheen. And one of the concepts, one of the voices that I heard uh, this week was that the reason they're opposing his canonization is the people will then begin to see what a bishop really looks like, a healthy bishop. One of the concepts that uh, I've discussed with both John and Teresa, I'm not so certain about you, Carl, but the thought process is that 
there are different conditions that people approach the crisis in the church it's in certain uh certain uh, i heard it recall there's a civil war going on in the church they try to hide that but uh, the idea is if you have stunted oaks you can look at an oak and you can be presented with an oak and if you don't know what an oak is you can be looking at an acorn and they be they'll call it an oak but once you see an oak and they say no this is not an acorn i want to see an oak you see an oak but it could be a stunted oak that you're looking at a stunted oak does not mean the oak is not a great tree. So you can say to that oak, you're stunted, or, in, in, or instead, you can put behind the oak or put the stunted oak next to a real oak that is a great tree, and you see the difference. Now, what we talked about last podcast, we heard from Rosmini, the concept of weak Christians— mediocre christians if you ordain a weak christian that's a mediocre christian you're going to end up with a weak and mediocre priest that's how it works so when you begin to look at that and you look at some of these christians that have been ordained some of these priests and clergy are weak and mediocre and you don't have the uh the appetite to confront them, there's uh, options. And one of those options is to present the image of a, a Christian that is robust and strong, Fulton Sheen. And when we hear this, you can say, oh, Father, uh, you know, I was reading Fulton Sheen. And so I want to, we'll have the guest with us, Fulton Sheen, but it's not just for his words. Watch the technique. You heard from Randy Engel tell us about weak and mediocre Christians. I heard that, didn't you, John? Yes, I did. Oh, yes. Okay. I would call them weak and mediocre. Yes. You know, I think there was a comment made in the book, you know, where, um, you know, uh, I think they were talking about one, I can't remember which bishop, but that, you know, him and his, his minions, you know, it just, it shows you that, I mean, it's, it's, it's just well, well planned out and well thought out. There's you a know? lobby. There's a lobby for that. Yes. And there's an advocacy and there's almost like a union. You've been in unions before. Yes. This is an organized effort. Oh, definitely. This is an organized effort. And you can see where the, where the, uh, the young men that wanted to be priests and were good priests and, you know, had good scruples, um, they walked away. Yes, they, they saw did. it so bad, they walked away. Men that had a vocation and that's not on the balance sheet to show you did this and this is the cost. This is the collateral damage. This is the death. Yes. This is the cost of the Civil War. Right. And where are those men now? Where did they go? You know, they're not priests, probably, when they would have been good men. Men, we have options for you. And uh, it is our, uh, Carl wants to say something. Bring him down there. Yeah. Here you go. Fulton Sheen was the first priest where I felt the Holy Spirit. He really gave uh, from his heart, you know. And I never even realized it then, uh, but uh, he was very dynamic. He was very, not weak. He, he was, was dynamic, yeah. No, and I've watched some of his videos, and mm-hmm. he likes to bring in humor, mm-hmm. and he's straight to the point, and um, he's just a, I, I, you can't believe that it's taken this long for him to become canonized. He was a great speaker. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to hear from him, Carl. We've got him as a guest, and, and he's going to speak to us through his uh, writings, The Moral Universe, uh, Fulton J. Sheen. We're in the actual, we're in the Fulton J. Sheen Amphitheater right now. 
<laughs> All right. We're in, uh, we, we'll label that. So here you're going to hear the words of Fulton J. Sheen, which I think are relevant on the, on the coattails of what we just heard of the report from Randy Engel. Here's Fulton J. Sheen beginning at page 30 of the Moral Universe, The Emergence of Morals. And so those who would blame God for allowing man freedom to go on hindering and thwarting his work are like those who, seeing the blots and smudges and misspellings and grammatical errors in a student's notebook, would condemn the teacher for not snatching away the book and doing the copy himself. Just as the objects of the teacher is sound education and not the production of a neat and well-written copybook, so the object of God is the development of souls and not the production of biological entities, however perfect they may be. There, too, is the answer to those who ask, If God knew that I would sin, why did he make me? Very simply, insofar as I am a sinful being, God did not make me. I made myself. I am a self-creating being. God gave me power, but I am free to decide the manner of man I shall be. Hence, my success or failure is in my own hands, and I am responsible for the result. I am responsible for the result. Very powerful, yes, Therese. Very, Very powerful. powerful. Yeah, um, you know, in, in we're saying a, a moral universe, we all have in our hands, you know, the ability to choose, to use our moral conscience. And, I mean, this is just powerful that he was he's talking about this. So since I continue on at page 31, since the universe is moral, it follows that the supreme choice which lies before us is that of observing the law of God or rebelling against it. Now, I'm listening to Randy Engel, and I would say, were they observing the law of God, John? No. Therese, no not. Absolutely not. And then their holy orders, too, the things that they, they swear to, that they're going to do. They're rebelling against that. Yes. Bait and switch. They tell us one thing. They take our money, our parents' money, and then they, that's not even, that's not kosher. I don't know how you say that. that if we were kids on the, uh, playing marbles, they are cheaters. Yes. Yes, they're cheaters. Uh, cheaters. I like that. Yes, they are cheaters. And, and, and they, they hide behind these uh, athletic-like productions and just as if nothing has gone wrong. And that's why we have... Uh, what we have a program here, Starve the DSA. Money is the mother's milk of all corruption, mother's milk of all church politics. And we have a sponsor today. John, would you like to hear from the sponsor? <laughs> yes, I definitely would like to hear from our sponsor. Bishops, for all of you, we have a special sponsor. This goes out with you. This is BigBig.com. <laughs> We're here to take care of you 10 to 4 daily, Monday through Friday, through Thursday. <laughs> if you want that special jet to take you down to the AOD at Seven Mile Beach in Grand Cayman Island for that little honey trap down there, we got that money for you. This is, uh, I am Dirty Meyer and I endorse that message. They work for me. The lady will never see the transactions at BigBang.com. BigBang.com, Bishop. If you are funding is going a little weak, <laughs> BigBank.com can help you. Bishop, if you export your governmental function, tell the lady, Therese, you got problems with my governmental function? Call 911. 
You, Therese, you want me to protect you? Call 911. <laughs> yes, I don't know why. Oh, all right. But, Bishop, we say to you, you want financial protection? Call BigBeg.com. They care for you every day, 10 to 4, Monday through Thursday. All right. We got to get back to some solid food here. Page 31. Since the universe is moral, it follows that the supreme choice which lies before us is that of obeying the law of God or rebelling against it. Now, I add here, I've seen so many. I got a friend, Rafi, who talks about, that's so legalistic. That's so legalistic. Look, you're rebelling against the law of God. Let me continue. If you choose to rebel against the law as though you were your own, and as if Christ had never bought you with his blood, then you must remain eternally in the congregation of the dead. Not for you will the glory of consecrated knowledge, not for you the rich blessing, not for you will be the glory of consecrated knowledge, not for you the rich blessings of him who turns a soul from the error of its ways, not for you the steady love of God, though it be persecuted, or the steady scorn of evil, even though it be enthroned. Listen to that. Turns a soul from error of its ways, not for you the steady love of good, not for you the steady love of good. How many of us don't have a steady love for good? These men that she spoke about, they had no steady love for good. These men, uh, did they scorn? There was no steady scorn of evil, even though it's enthroned. And just the opposite. Bishop Barron listens to the polls. The polls, Bishop Barron, are not our teachers. Let me continue. Page 55 about mortification. Do you see in these men any mortification? Do you hear the word mortification? They run run with their passions run wild. They run with, and if their passions were horses, who's who's in control? The horse. The horse. (laughs) The horse is in control. Now, but mortifications means not only dying to live, its fullest meaning embraces also its inspiration, which is love for the difference between uh, for the difference between pain and sacrifice is love. That's powerful. I don't see any love here. Pain and sacrifice for me, not at all. I see selfishness. Yes. I see weak men that gave into their, into their passions. So listen to that. Which is love. For the difference between pain and sacrifice is love. Love is the soul of sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Love is the soul of sacrifice. You see people sacrificing, there you see love. Do you remember, did our parish priest sacrifice for Heather? No, he did not. You did not see love, not love of neighbor, not what it takes. No, you know, no not, sacrifice. No, and, and you know, extending that arm and being there, uh, no, did I did you not see, see the that. campaign for the insiders? Come on inside, all the way inside, which meant money. Yes. Money. You support me. And he would ask you, how are you supporting? No, con- no conscious. I'll tell you what, we're doing your work. We're carrying your water, going places that you won't go. Going places that you are concerned about getting sick at. Let me continue. Everything in nature testifies to this. The deer who fights for her fawn. The bird who toils for her nestlings. The spider who would die rather than drop her bag of eggs. All these know that love is not worth calling love unless it can dare and suffer for the one it loves. I don't feel any love for the ones that, that uh, the, the homeless the, the, there are homeless who are heterosexuals. There are homeless that are lesbians and homosexuals that have to enter into prostitution. I did not see any transformation in that community 
or the staff, Teresa. We now know that B-16 called the professional Catholics. Remember that? Yeah. Professional Catholics. None of them were con- You got a spider that's more concerned for its egg sac than you have them concerned for Heather. Right. Just sad, sad. Uh, let me continue. That, too, is why I believe we always speak of arrows and darts of love, something that wounds. The day that man forgets that love is identical with sacrifice, that day we will ask how a God of love could demand mortification and self-denial. The day that man forgets that love is identical with sacrifice, that day he will ask how a God of love could demand mortification and self-denial. I see that in his behaviors. How can you ask that from me, God? That can't be love. Lost that concept. You get that? Does it come together? Yeah. This is an oak. This is a not a weak and mediocre priest. Right. This is a strong, robust, and uh, a flame that is alive. I go now to page 58. The world which begins with pleasure instead of ending with it perhaps can never understand why such an intense love of our blessed Lord should ever make souls want to die to live and still be happy in their death. But then neither can the world ever understand why the only recorded time that our blessed Lord ever sang was when he went out in the black cruel night to his death. So sad. So sad. Let me. That's worth repeating. The world which begins with pleasure instead of ending with it, with it perhaps can never understand why such an intense love for our blessed Lord should ever make souls want to die to live and still be happy in their death. But then neither can the world ever understand why the only recorded time that our blessed Lord ever sang was when he went out in the black cruel night to his death. So sad. And I see this with them. You see in our own parish, you got the cross taken from the front and to the back. You hear him talk about we're Easter people. John, did you have something to say? No, no. You, you know. I'm just listening to you. All right. And, uh, well, I'm about ready to uh, conclude that. And uh, I just want to talk about uh, that. Think about when you're thinking about an oak, you're thinking about men that ordained. Rosmini talks about this saint. Peter Damien discusses it. There's many, many clergy that uh, set before you the standard of a good priest, of a strong and enormous tree that's known as an oak. If you've got stunted oaks and you don't know how to approach them, begin to talk about the strong, the strength. Begin to pull that vision of the church. Don't leave the church. And uh, don't... uh, there's so much work to be done, and there's so many ways. We'll have our website up soon. There's so many ways to approach this, but this is the unpopular face of Christ. This is not a popular face of Christ. This is often the unwanted face of Christ. Can you do some concluding words on that, Teresa, about the unpopularity of a face? This is a face that's not known that often. This is the wounds of Jesus Christ, the unknown face of Jesus Christ, not a popular face. Yeah, I I was thinking a lot when you were talking about all that. I was thinking about, um, you know, our conscience. You know, we we are born with, you know, an orientation that we want God. Um, And when when we're reading these things and we're seeing um, the priestly, um, the ones who are priests in our church are um, misusing their power and, you know, snuffing out the little people, um, and then you get you get here with uh, Fulton Sheen, and 
you know, he's so robust and, and he, you know, he talks about the face of Christ and he talks about, um, you know, Jesus walking out to his death. And that's when he sang. And that's when he heard, you know, the people, uh, the people really realized then, you know, it's, you know, what are we waiting for in the, in the laity, uh, you know, us people in the pews? I mean, we know that these things are wrong. When we hear about um, the crisis in the church, when we hear about what happened in Pennsylvania just not long ago and, um, and the whole McCarrick thing, we hear that we know this stuff is wrong. And what do we do? We, we, we pray. We're, we're told we, we just pray, be quiet, um, and, you know, and just pray for the church. Well, I think there's a lot more that needs to be done. And I, I think that, you know, um, opening our minds, opening our mouths, and, you know, that we're going to take the church back, that um, we, need a, we need a church that shows us the face of Jesus. We need a church that is willing, a church government that's willing to confront evil. You yes. agree that oh, to yes. confront evil, yes. not hide it, not deny it, and certainly when you ask questions, don't do to people what they've done to. Uh, there are professional Catholics who live off the church. None of us sitting here, John, Therese, myself, I, I've never lived in the basement of Joseph and Mary. I've never sucked off the breast of the church. I am independent. I make my money the old-fashioned way. I earn it. And there's and nobody here. And we're beginning to learn there's an entire class of professional Catholics who live off of the church. And the grace trickles. The faith is just a trickle. They're not going to risk anything. They can't. And they are yes people. They're not in love with God. And I think that's why I keep talking to the laity um, to wake up is because... Um, um, starve the, that DSA. Yeah, yeah, starve that DSA. And, the re, you know, the reason is, is just like you're saying, I mean, um, the government and the church is, it's corrupt. People have gotten used to that. People have gotten used to, you know, that they think that all this, this money and, and the church is sending it to Catholic charities. And I just, just heard recently more about... Um, um, Planned Parenthood and the funding going to Planned Parenthood. I mean, we really need to wake up. And we, if you think they're doing what you want and then, you know, lobbying for, um, you know, gay rights and homosexuality. Or murder in the womb. Or or murder in the womb, you know. Yeah. Murder innocence. Yes. And it doesn't end at the womb. We've Except. experienced it with Bill, with other people. We've experienced, once they start murdering innocents in the womb, it doesn't end there, folks. Right. It does not end there. And that blood, uh, we're going we're gonna to hear from an archbishop who will tell us we have some responsibility. And you're doing a whole series on that to call the laity. Yes. Yes, I am. Um, so, you know, and I hope you guys listen to the call of the lady. Uh, I, I think there's a lot there that you will open your eyes to, to things that we are actually really supposed to be doing in our church. We're not supposed to be accepting um Evil. Evil. Or blessing it with our money. Or, yeah, or blessing it with our money, for sure. Yep. Yeah. Okay, Carl, do you have anything? What, what is it? Um, yeah. It's uh, on Jesus Christ it's and the love and uh, love. Sacrifice is the, law, is the soul of love. Something like whatever that. Whatever you want to say on it, Carl. Uh, Carl, whatever you want to say about love. What About, about love? About love the, is the soul of sacrifice. Oh. Fulton Sheen said that. Oh yeah, we'll get that Fulton, Sheen, Fulton Sheen. Uh, he was uh, uh, one of one of the, the first people that inspired me, and uh, he was a great or 
author. You know, he could take a subject and and he could uh, really uh, expound on it, you know. And I just love to hear him. You feel comfortable putting your glasses on and getting some experience on reading? That's Fulton Sheen? He's got his own there, but yeah, Fulton Sheen. Yeah. Coordinate that. Just get a little experience on that. We're going to pay you twice what you normally get Where do I start? Where do you want to start? Wherever he wants to start. On the green farm? Sure, why not? Okay. Uh... The ob- just as the object of a teacher is sound education and not production of a neat and well-written copy, so the object of God is the development of souls and not the production of bi- biological entities, however protect- perfect they may be. There, too, is the answer to those who ask, If God knew that I would sin, why did he not? Why did he make me? Very simply, insofar as I am a sinful being. God did not make me. I made myself. I am a self-creating being. God gave me power, but I am free to decide the manner of man I shall be. Hence, my success or failure is in my own hands, and I am responsible for the results. Since the universal is moral, it follows that the supreme choice which lies before us is that of obeying the law of God or rebelling against it. If you choose to rebel against that law as though you were your own and as if Christ had never brought you with his blood, then you must remain eternally in the congregation of the dead. Not for you will be the glory of consecrated knowledge. Not for you the rich blessing of him who turns a soul from the error of its ways. Not for you the steady love of good through it, though it be persecuted, or, or the steady scorn of evil, even though it may be enthroned, but for you the frivolous instupidity of unreverent amusement, the dull and and discontented mind, ignoble when with another wretch when alone, great deeds will be done, but... What what does that go to next? Where... Yeah, he goes on to another page. Those are separate pages, separate concepts. But go ahead, Carl. If you feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're a good reader. The, the mortification means not only dying to live, its fullest meaning embraces also its inspiration, which is love. For the difference between pain and sacrifice is love. Love is the soul of sacrifice. Everything... In nature, testifies to this: the deer who fights for her fawn, the bird who toils for her nestlings, the spider who would die rather than drop her bag of eggs. All these know, know that love is not worth calling love unless it can dare and suffer for the one it loves. That too is why I believe that we always speak of arrows and darts of love. Something that wounds the day that man forgot that love is identical with sacrifice. That day, he also asks, how 
a God of love could demand mortification and self-denial. As the bittersweet arrows of outrageous fortune become softened and sometimes sweetened when they are born in love for another, a mother keeps vigil over the bedside of her fever-stricken child. Neighbors call it sacrifice, but she calls it love. The hero rushes into lapping tongues of fire to rescue his friend. Onlookers call it sacrifice, but he calls it love. The lover gives to his beloved a ring, and not of tin or straw, but of diamond and platinum. Acquaintances call it sacrifice, but he calls it love. And finally, our blessed Lord empties himself on his heavenly and his heavenly glory put on what now where are we uh, put on I think like you said they're just pieces so we might be on a whole new piece uh, oh okay yep if you want to neither, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor power nor things present nor things to come nor might might or height or nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us. <laughs> we'll be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus the Lord. The world which begins with pleasure instead of ending with it, it's perhaps can never understand why such an intense love of our blessed Lord should ever make souls want to die, to live, and still be happy in their death. But then neither can the world ever understand why the only recorded time that our blessed Lord ever sang was when he went in the black, cruel night to his death. God bless. Now, John, this is your channel. Did you want to conclude anything, or did you want me to add anything? If whatever you want to add. Well, it ain't Catholic till we make a collection, John. Do you have, did you bring anything with you? Yes, uh -huh. I, I brought from BigBag.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got a big IOU. <laughs> Try it one more time. <laughs> BigBag.com. <laughs> and to who who endorses that? Dirty Meyer. I'm a Dirty Meyer freaker. And I've used BigBig.com to hide from them lady how we use their money. Carl, some of this is so, we have gallows humor, don't we? Yes. It's difficult. you got to confront it, folks. you got to confront it, and you just can't avoid it. And if you can't confront it, you know, don't throw stones at those who do. This is not going away. And uh, watch, listen to the DOLW3. This is DOLW2. But the third channel, tune into there and you'll hear about the call of the lady. You'll understand what is your true identity, which is your happiness. Even amidst that, the, the happiness that you have. Go, Carl's got a little bit more there. Yeah. Okay, Carol. Uh, I, I feel sad about the people that are dropping out of the Catholic faith because of the things going on in the Catholic Church. And it's, it's uh, really, we don't deserve it. And, and it's, uh, it's happening to a lot of people. And I'm sad about that. Yes, I agree. It's it's very sad, but I think, you know, things like this make, making your effort, you know, taking steps to to speak, to speak and use your voice, you know, and um um 
you know, get people coming back. You know, reach your hand out and and have them come back. What about whistle, Carl? Can, what do you think about whistleblowing? We're going to try to do a catechism on whistleblowers. There's lots of people that know things. They just don't feel comfortable talking about them. And uh, what are your thoughts on whistleblowing, Teresa? And then add that to Carl. Oh, oh. Uh, they need to come out with the things that are wrong in order to make it right. You can't hide it. You have to bring it out into the open and confront it. And in that way, get through it to make it better. Don't be afraid. That's how you. Right. Yes, don't be afraid. And you know, if you see things going on, you definitely need to speak up. And uh, you know, just like the seminarians and um, different people in the church, and even here reading Randy Ingalls' books, these whistleblowers. Yeah, it's not an easy way to go. But to to not actually get up and do it and. Um, it's it's it just tears your conscience up. You need to you need to expose that, and you need to trust trust in the Lord. Um, That's right. Yeah, John, can you sh- can you? How are you going to show your bishop if he's on a fundraiser? Can you show him a little love? <laughs> show him a little love. Oh, not strangle him. Is well, that enough love? Make a referral. For make a referral. <laughs> And uh, you're going to starve the DSA. Yes, I'll starve the DSA. And who would you, if he wanted money, he's got lots of money. There's professional givers. Well, let me just think about that for a little bit. You could go to bigbank.com. <laughs> Good job, John. <laughs> Coming from a shy man who couldn't speak English <laughs> and labeled, he had a lot of labels that our clergy gave him, a lot of labels. To, he got a lot of wisdom. He got a lot of he wisdom. He speak up too much. He he's a long way from home. When he's a long way from from home. He's dependent on you for a ride. He don't speak up. He's very accommodating. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah, we'll end her there. All right. This is the end of the podcast then, and so we'll say a prayer. You want to say a prayer, please? Yes, I do. Um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Therese. Thank you, guys. And this is all. Bye. Bye.